This guy's name is John J. Ray the third. Like, can you not picture John J. Ray back in 1907? Uh, no, I can only picture John J. Ray in a R&B uh, music video. <laughs> like, that's it, man. <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. This fan is still going, but it's like the slowest movement. It's on the slowest setting. Uh, oh, no, it stopped. How you doing this morning? Dougal's on the road is a different Dougal's. He's not quite as relaxed. He's a little, you know, like has to set up the pillows. Jittery. Pain, man. Jittery. But we haven't had a road show in a while, so this is good. You're going to bring the heat on this one. I'm good, man. How about you? Pretty solid. I'm out in uh, in California right now. So I came out for the sunshine and the glory, and it's like a little rainy and misty today. So in SoCal. Yeah, that's no good. How's the weather in the Bahamas? Any ideas? It's pretty stormy with a slight chance of bankruptcy. <laughs> no, 100% <laughs> chance of bankruptcy. Oh, okay. I'm yeah, sorry. Speaking of which, guys, we'll get to more FTX uh, in a moment. We're going to start by talking about South Korea Le- Legoland. Right, Diggles? That is absolutely right. So this is a this is a case of government official who wants to wave around their political power for no real reason that leads to economic consequences they never could have seen coming. The economy is a, it is a mixed bag of complication. Don't play with it. Wait, and is Angela Lansbury back for Tales of Old's Time? Because this she's is all, what politicians never left. do. They're always going, oh, we'll just fix this, fix that. It's going to be easy. And then the unintended consequences get nuts. She never left. She never okay, left. Good. good. So to kick this off, I'm going to start at the end and say the South Korean bond market is facing a liquidity crunch. That's sentence one. Sentence two is because of Legoland. <laughs> you got to so, fill me in because all yeah. I can do is laugh. I don't even know what's happening here. Yeah. So here's what's happened. So uh, 12 years ago, 2010, they decided to build a Legoland outside of this resort town in South Korea. Right. No big deal. Uh, it hit a bunch of snags like corruption, bribery, all this stuff. So anyway, it took a little while to build. Finally, it launched this year on May 5th, but the launch didn't go particularly well. People weren't coming. It was too expensive. It was too far away from Seoul, all this other stuff. Regardless, launch didn't go particularly well. And so that's that makes like revenue coming in isn't quite as good, blah, blah, blah. That's a little bit of context. The way that the part of Legoland was financed, though, is you have this province, the the Gangwon province, right? So just like, like a state in the U.S. for those out there, yeah. this province where it is. They created this special purpose entity. So just like a, like I think of it as like an LLC. That's not exactly what it is, but really think of it that way. Um, and called the GJC, yep. which owned 44%. Sorry, the, sorry, of this GJC, this special purpose ent- entity, 44% was owned by the province. 22% was owned by Legoland's like parent company. All right. To fund it, they put these bonds out there. So it's $150 million worth of bonds that they issued. And the bonds were backed by the government. So it's basically like, you can think of it like a, like in the US, it would be as if the state of California, right? Like, like backed a bond, like it's pretty safe, generally speaking, right? Okay. 
So the first due date for these bonds was on September 29th. So just a month and a half ago, basically. And there was a new sheriff in town, not an actual sheriff, but like a new uh, governor, right, of this province in town. And so revenues, if you recall, weren't going all that great, whatever. And the the uh, the governor said, I'm going to flex my political muscle and say on September 28th. So the day before the first due date was like, you know what? The government's actually not going to honor these bonds. For why? Just yeah. Just, just politics. To be... It was pure politics. Because so this... uh, sorry, can I jump in there? Because with what's so powerful about a government in terms of their backing for whether it's FDIC bank accounts or bonds or anything else is the taxes that come from your citizens are like this effectively forever payment stream, unless your economy completely blows up or your population completely dies off, right? So government backing is a huge deal. And it's one of the things that make markets go, right? Um, yes. So if you're just going around creating fear for just cause, because you're a tough guy, man, the ramifications of that, I'm sure you got to tell me, but yes. I can imagine how bad this gets. It's exactly right. And so the the why, you asked why, the why is no real good reason, right? But basically the why was because his predecessor is the one that, that got this stuff done. And that's it. It wasn't even like this governor was against it. These, this article, it's called A Theme Park Crisis is Wrecking South Korea's Bond Market at foreignpolicy.com. So the this guy a few years ago was shouting from the rooftops about how if Legoland doesn't get done, he will like jump into the oceans and drown himself. Yeah. Like he, he was... He was supportive of this thing. So it's not like he was against it. It was pure politics. So he comes out and says, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna give the government's guarantee for this thing. So then the GJC, the special purpose entity, declares bankruptcy, right? Which is not good. And the oh, actually going back to the why of how ridiculous this is. So this is a $150 million debt, right? Of within this province, the annual budget is $13 billion. Like it's not a Oh yeah, it's not huge. It, it's yeah, it's just, it's just like a you know small line item. So anyway, so what started happening then is other local um, government bonds. People were like, "Well, we actually don't trust that any local entity is going to honor their bonds anymore." And so housing projects, other projects, just like slowed, like affordable housing, they yeah. they stopped. Projects came to a halt. The government bond market is generally safer than the corporate bond market. And so then what happened was one of the the safest bonds is a South Korea company called Korea Electric Power Corp. So, you know, like utility, big utility. Yep. So for them, they had a bond issuance of 200 billion won, which is about $146 million. They couldn't find a buyer for it. So like no liquidity within that bond. Internationally, South Korea has this large life insurance company. They typically on their like 30 year bonds would call them early, meaning that they would they would give out the full amount of the bond right to the to the people that bought it early. Yeah. They didn't yeah. for five hundred million dollars worth of their bonds. And so people were like, oh, that must mean that they don't have enough cash to. And so those aren't trusted anymore. Like it's it was this whole basically compounding impact of mistrust. Right. So auto loans stopped. Um, it was like all at <laughs> the entire South Korean like debt market basically came to a halt. I mean, uh, then, of course, if the if the U.S. government comes out tomorrow and says, hey, that FDIC insurance that we've said yeah. it, it, that we don't really want to do that anymore, like or the next president is elected and we're just like, no, then the bank runs start to happen. Yeah. And 
exactly. <laughs> everything cascades down from there. I, I also love that. Uh, so the governor then tried to come out and be like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I didn't mean for this to happen. I didn't want to default on the bonds. All that I wanted to do was restructure this like special purpose entity company, which by its very nature would default on the bonds. So like, it's like a, <laughs> there's, there's just such a misunderstanding that happens here. So anyway, to, to wrap all this up, so all sorts of like nonsense as we just talked about, but now they're comparing this governor, Kim, um, to Britain's last prime minister, Liz Truss. It's yeah. like someone that comes in and just immediately starts wrecking havoc uh, or wreaking havoc on the, the economy. But I'm like, Legoland, dude, Legoland. Yeah, so shout out to S. Nathan Park, who wrote this article in Foreign Policy. I keep scouring. I was looking for a footnote to find what Lego set Governor Kim missed out on last <laughs> Christmas that caused him to. Was it Harry Potter? Was it Star Wars? Like, he's clearly has a vendetta against Lego. As you said, he used to be a supporter, but then something happened. We're going to get to the bottom of this on the next episode, I think. <laughs> I love that. All right. All Speaking right. of uh, messes. This FTX stuff, man, it's just it's just fraud to a new level of fraud. People have gone from talking about kind of crypto and how much of the wild, wild west crypto is. I mean, certainly there's a component here to just thrown out Bernie Madoff and other things. So there's a lot to talk about here. The most fascinating thing I saw this week is an Alameda Research pitch deck. Did you see this, Douglas? I can't. I mean, did you see it? No, no, I didn't. Okay. So in this pitch deck, they have a bunch of like spelling mistakes. They say things like, if you want to give us more money, we'll find a way to give you a higher return. So they kind of promise, like, give us some money. We'll give you 15% annualized back. But then uh, if you, if 15% annualized back isn't enough, like, We'll find a way to do better than that as if they can just make any amount of money that they want, which is what you do in a Ponzi scheme. Well, and <laughs> and they don't do math as we like previously figured out. So how are they going to figure out whether or not they even brought 15% back in? Uh, <laughs> it, okay, <We're>, we'll talk <laughs> about that. We brought in the, now in the bankruptcy filing, we've brought in some of the best restructuring executives and accounting firms in the world that are costing FTX is shareholders because FTX doesn't have any money effectively, uh, probably a million dollars a day. So we're, we're going to talk about some of the quotes from the new CEO saying, I've never seen anything this this scale, right? And, and talking Madoff and Enron. Those are the only things that are mentioned now, which is basically like find the worst fraud humanity could ever imagine and um scale that baby up like this is really really bad it's way worse than i ever thought it could be and before we start jumping into these quotes what i love yeah. is so this individual the ceo that's leading through the bankruptcy is has the perfect name of an auditor like it's such that you know that his grandfather who he is named after it seems also used to do auditing this guy's name is john j ray the third like can you not picture john j ray Back in 1907, the uh, first... no, I can only picture John J. Ray in a R and B 
uh, music video. <laughs> like, that's it, man. He's not an auditor. He's way too hip for that. <laughs> oh, right, I love so this. We'll, we'll get to the crazy CEO quotes in just a second. Let me just tell you one other thing. Uh, this is a direct quote from the Alameda Pitch Deck. And this came from a guy named uh, Dylan LeClaire, Leclerc, who's a Bitcoin guy and got pitched. He said the only reason he didn't throw this out publicly earlier is there were so many errors. He thought it was like a forgery or a fraud. Like he thought he was on punked and someone was like, oh, you want to get into FTX? Like this is how we do it. And he's going, well, I'm not putting my money in this thing, but I'm also not going to expose them because I'll look like the idiot because I'm on punked right now. Turns out this was real. <laughs> so I love that. Uh, um, they talk about their, this is Alameda. This is a hedge fund that Sam Bankman fried has control over effectively. That's part of the FTX entity, which is really complex. And it says Alameda is proud to have the highest and most consistent returns of any crypto trading firm we know of. <laughs> so first of all, that's such a, just like, uh, of the people we know, we're the best. I think, I don't really know, but we're good. You should give us $50 million. Sentence number one. Can we, I just want to accentuate that point you just brought up. If someone comes up and starts any company, any company, like you can start serving burgers and you go, this is the best burger I've ever heard someone mention how good a burger was. And you go, well, has anyone ever been to McDonald's? Never heard of it. Yeah. We, we served this burger to like three of our friends. They liked it. One of them even said it was like the best burger they've ever had. Uh, where's our hundred million dollars? We're yeah, exactly. we're opening franchises tomorrow. <laughs> oh man, I can't. Gonna... Uh, next sentence. We are extremely confident. We beat long only strategies. I'm not exactly sure with that. I mean, there's just like <laughs> just goes on and on about how great they are. How they're um. There's no chance that they can lose money. How they have consistent returns. It's just a Ponzi scheme. It's so bad. And where did we end up after this Ponzi scheme, Dougals? Unimaginable amounts of fraud. Do you have some numbers in front of you or, or at least some quotes? Some balance sheet numbers? I got it. Yeah. So the Financial Times came out with like the, I don't know if it was a leaked balance sheet, but regardless, somehow they got hold of the balance sheet. I think Sam actually may have been throwing it out there as like a last ditch effort to try and raise money. But so yeah, this is Times, a balance sheet that says something like, Uh, this isn't right, but it's kind of close. And we think maybe we have some money here and there's still gaping holes in it. Correct. Oh, and it's, yo, it's so much nonsense. The, the visual capitalist took what the financial times put out and made like a really nice infographic that we'll put out on Monday from this. So summary, $8.9 billion in liabilities. That's, you know, lots of organizations have a lot of liabilities. Those organizations typically also have assets, the liquid assets, (laughs) <laughs> the, the liquid assets um, of FTX, $900 million. So you know that $8.9 billion, that 0.9 is the liquid assets yeah. of, of the organization. Then you start to get, oh, sorry, of those liquid assets, you would, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, but then I did. So hedging, right? Diversification. These are things that allow entities that take on risk to try and like mitigate the risk somehow. So these liabilities are like, they're all crypto, right? Like crypto liabilities. Of the liquid assets, the $900 million, more than half are Robinhood stock. What? Which, and, and <laughs> no, sorry, go ahead. 
which <laughs> has a pretty significant amount of its value that comes from crypto. Am I wrong? If I wanted I to wrong? nitpick, we could go there. But okay. no, you're not okay. entirely wrong. So yeah. I'm just I we don't need to go down that rabbit hood. That that rabbit hood. Sorry, that, that that rabbit hole. All right. So $900 million in liquid assets. Then they have two other categories of assets, less liquid assets and illiquid assets. And I thought that this was really interesting looking at like all the things that they held. But basically, to summarize, it's in the less liquid is a whole bunch of um, like crypto. And then in the illiquid are like other private equity like ventures um, that the organization has. And one one thing I thought was really interesting in the the illiquid was they had seven point four million dollars, so small in the grand scheme of things, worth of Trump lose tokens. <laughs> so it's a, it was basically it was a a token that was created by FTX in order to bet on whether or not Donald Trump would win the twenty twenty election. So this this is a part of its like asset base, <laughs> which you can imagine why it's illiquid. I mean the assets are garbage um okay in addition to that they have according to the bankruptcy filing um and i'm summarizing here uh, they have effectively no sense of like the number of bank accounts well or customers like they can't tell you easily how many customers they have on their exchanges they that they didn't keep a record of what bank accounts they have yeah, they also don't have a record of cash on hands or bank accounts. They don't have a record of digital asset custody, which is incredibly important. They have no governance, like no corporate governance at all. They have no board. It's so much. I mean, it's effectively, I don't know, me and my five-year-old drawing pictures on a piece of paper and taking in billions of dollars, you know, having $10 billion in liabilities. I don't know how you even get to this point. All right. Here's some, this is what you're getting at, according to this filing. So our boy, John J. Ray, the third, right. Who, as we declared, his grandfather used to ride for the Pony Express back in the day, John J. Ray, the third, he comes out and this is a person who also oversaw the Enron situation mm-hmm. comes out and says never in my career have i seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here he talks about the numbers in the balance sheet and says however because this balance sheet was produced while debtors were controlled by mr bankman freed i do not have confidence in it the next thing i'm going to say is probably my favorite but like you just put those two things together i mean he this this guy was basically like how like how did this even occur like if, if you tried can you even call it a fraud because if someone tried to do fraud they would do a better job he, he didn't say this this is Dougal's. <laughs> if you like it was just as if to your point like you and a five-year-old i mean not you you because you do better than this yeah. if a five-year-old and a seven-year-old decided to do something and just had no idea what they're doing this isn't like an effort to cover anything up so far it's just like negligence and a complete lack of governance is like that, that component of it. You know, the other thing you got to do, if you really want to commit fraud, send most of your message via Signal, which is an encrypted platform that's untraceable, and have them auto-delete after a few days. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah, is a no, drug ring, man. Yeah, I'm now, sorry. Now I, I mean, now like, we're starting to get into the fraud. Okay, so, so that, that's the fraud piece. Let's get back to the five-year-olds. 
Okay. So on the lack of governance, they also didn't like keep records of who their employees were, how many employees they had, what employee and status. I mean, why the would best you? Part, the <laughs> best part in my mind, though, is how they paid them. Their employees were paid through online chat. And so what managers would do is they would approve like the disbursements, the payments, by responding with personalized emojis. No, I didn't even hear this. <laughs> So it's like second Friday of the month and you hit someone up via chat and they send you like the white, right winking emoji yeah, exactly. and then the money hits your bank account. Exactly. Right, were they paid in crypto? Do we know that that I don't know, but I mean, most likely, but can you imagine you're like, you're like, all right, I think we can go to Hawaii, baby. I think we can go to Hawaii. Let me just wait to see what our bonus comes through. Poop emoji. I don't know how much that means, but it can't be good. <laughs> This is such nonsense. <laughs> like it's it's so ridiculous. When people were so, I saw like in Twitter threads how um, folks would be like, "This is why the SEC needs to, you know, um, have some more governance, regulation, etc." And other folks were like, "Yeah, but even with the SEC, you know, you had Bernie Madoff and Enron happened with the SEC looking over their shoulders." Yes, sure, but there were no poop emojis involved and well, in, not, not the sec does not regulate poop emojis this this almost has nothing to do with that kind of regulation this is just more of i said to me i think this has a lot more to do with just the general like exuberance in the market and people's willingness to get into something that is nonsensical i mean the the madoff and enron stuff happened over like years and or decades right this this entity was started five years ago Right. Actually, FTX was three years ago. So yeah, I think this is more years. just like an exuberance play of people throwing money into something that is like complete nonsense and letting children right run something more than it was like a regulatory failure, in my view. This is a debate I want to have in three years when the dust settles on this, because um, so Brian Armstrong, the CEO of Coinbase, uh, came out this week, did a, a whole PR campaign, bought ads in The New York Times to try and say, we're different, right? And of course, that's what he has to do. That makes perfect sense. But he says, we're different. We're public. Look at our audited financial statements. And the only other two examples you hear are made off in Enron. And it's like, well, sorry, Coinbase. Like Enron was public. Enron had a really elaborate scheme. I Now, to be crystal clear, I'm not suggesting that with Coinbase at all. But the point being, that doesn't guarantee that there's fraud that's not happening where I think I would stand. If you force me to take a, a bet on where this ends up three years from now is the investors in Madoff and Enron will be made more whole. And I would almost venture to guess significantly more whole than the people in FTX, because I think the fraud, because there was no audits and, and no public accounting statements, I think the fraud is a whole different level and the ability to recover some of these assets is just, it's just not there because it's a Ponzi scheme on steroids. What do you think? I, I agree with you there. And I think this says, I'm going to back it away from fraud again. I think that I'm not saying that this isn't fraud. This is fraud. Yeah. But um, to your point, I think that you, you have to have your ducks in some kind of a row. And there is backing, right? And there are like guarantees when you are regulated. So independent of whether it's fraud or not, it could just be like a typical bankruptcy and people are made more whole i think that that's like the bigger deal here from from what you're saying versus like the fraud piece i think this is because some of this is fraud 
And some of this is just negligence and like people being stupid. Like it's a combination yeah. of the two and it's harder for people just to be flat out stupid. <laughs> like well, when it comes to you, you have to at least be structuredly stupid. I mean, I, I know you lot know a lot about Enron and I know that's 20 years ago now, but at the core of Enron are a couple people that thought they were smarter than everyone else. I think Sam Bankman fried probably fits into that category based on what I've heard. And then they got really creative with accounting and said the value of X, like, but their books were much better than a crappy spreadsheet that says we don't even know where the money is, which is what is happening with FTX is my point. So they, they were like pushing, you know, what they were doing was fraud too, and it's not okay. And a lot of real people in both cases got hurt, but they're, they accounted for, they knew where their assets were. They just weren't being honest with how those assets were valued. I don't know that that's what's happening. No, here. no, yeah. that, that, that's where it's the fraud mixed with just negligence and stupidity. Like that, that's yeah. the, the Enron people were smarter than everyone around them. They didn't think that they were, they absolutely were. Like well, they were intentionally it, it, hiding things and creating new entities true. and like there's all sorts true. of stuff. This is like, I don't know whether I'm at B of A or Chase. Like that, that is, <laughs> that's a different, I don't know where my money is. It's, it's a full different beast. All right. All right. Well, we better switch gears just because I don't know that people love uh, fraud talk, no. but hit us up. So <laughs> what's next in your fishbowl? I got a couple things. All right. I'm going to do one really, really quick hit just because of the irony. And then I want to follow up on Elon. The real quick irony hit is this same week that all this stuff's going down. Your girl, Elizabeth Holmes, was sentenced to over 11 years in prison for what happened with Theranos. Public service announcement. Not my girl. Dougal's throwing shade. <laughs> tomato, tomato. <laughs> all right. So we, we hit on, I think this is the third week in a row. We've now been hitting on something Elon Musk because this whole Twitter fiasco is going down. Wait, you're really going off Elizabeth Holmes already? Yeah. So what's the book that everyone loved? Um, Bad Blood. Came out like two years ago. Bad Blood. This is this is all I'm going to say about Elizabeth Holmes, man. That book was really well done, really well, well written. I went like halfway through and it was so depressing to me, like all the lying and deceit. That I put that thing down and said, I don't need to worry about this company or this saga anymore. That's depressing, man. I imagine we'll get there with FTX and others too, but oh gosh, not fun. You should finish it. Really? You should finish it. Yeah. You should finish it. All right. Okay. Elon Musk. So we hit on all sorts of things in the Twitter saga. Here's what I'm going to say. <laughs> here's, here's what I'm going to say. A good week ago-ish. Twitter had 7,500 employees. A good now ago, Twitter has less than 2,000 employees. Now, this happened in a couple different ways. One was Elon first came in and folks was like, I've seen this movie before. I'm out. That was a small group of people. Second, Elon uh, fired some executives and whatnot. Okay, cool. Then Elon let go of half of the company. So like 3,700 people got let yeah. go. This week, what happened was Elon comes out with an email, subject line, a fork in the road. That's Twitter 2.0, baby. Yeah. Going forward to build a breakthrough Twitter 2.0 and succeed in an increasingly competitive world, we will need to be extremely hardcore. 
I just picture <laughs> if someone is acting this email out, that that's the point. You don't, you know, you don't kind of video I'm talking about. It's like where there's like a, a bunch of quick flashes and like yeah. music that comes in. Lightning bolts behind. Exactly. Extremely hardcore. Yeah. It's like a, uh, it's a little short film that Job from Arrested Development would make. But anyway, <laughs> this will mean working long hours at high intensity. Only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade. All right. So the email goes on. What it, what it comes down to, though, so he describes all this hardcoreness and says, if you're sure that you want to be a part of the new Twitter, please click yes below. Anyone who has not done so, done so being clicked, by 5 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow will receive three months of severance. So you have to this click is on so this amazing because, like, imagine the guy on the beach, right? He's he like, you know, he probably works too much. He finally got some time away from the office. He's stressed out because of Elon. And then all of a sudden he gets 7,000 text messages that says you have to hit this button by 5 o'clock tomorrow if you want a job. Isn't it great? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so what happened was a bunch of people didn't click like that, yeah. that, that is, that is what happened. And so I think about a thousand, uh, thousand, 1200, 1200, like 1200 people, yeah. 1200 people left. So now we're under 2000 employees ish. I don't know the exact count, but something like that at Twitter, mm -hmm. which is wild, right? It's like a quarter of the company that was around a week ago. Uh, from what you just said, you know what I just thought about too? So in 2020, there was this group of kids they, I mean, they might have been like in the early 20s or something like that, but a group of young folk that in like January or December of 19 went on like a, they went out to sea on some kind of excursion to like visit Antarctica or something like that. Yeah. They go out and they came back in like July and we're just like, what the, <laughs> like it was, <laughs> I just, when you were talking about like the guy on the beach, I picture somebody in, what was it? February of this year. That was just like, you know what? I'm going to go take a sabbatical and I'm going to go down and like hang out with the penguins yeah. for, for a good nine months. Can you imagine like if you leave, you leave Twitter on sabbatical and then you come back and you're like, what? Like you never could have guessed that all this stuff that happened, like Elon Musk says he's going to buy Twitter, goes through all the rigmarole of that, comes back like two thirds, three quarters of the company gone. Like it's, it's a, it's really, really wild what's happened. So anyway, I still, I don't know what your view is. I still think this is 90% purposeful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, in every hour, um, these resignations happened uh, basically Friday at 5 p.m.-ish. Every hour that Twitter still appears to function to the general public, okay, um, is a huge win for Elon. And the funniest memes on Twitter right now, actually, there's so much going on that there's tons of funny stuff on Twitter, but um, is the private equity firms like licking their chops, being like, wait, I can lay off 70% of my tech firms employees and the thing still works? Like, yeah, let's do that. I I'm down with that. Imagine the profit margins we can have. And the, there's so much danger in that from a lot of different perspectives. The biggest one is just innovation from a from a business perspective like i'm ignoring the human component and people having to feed their families which is like that's the actual biggest yeah but you but i i mean elon i think is not particularly um right when it comes to like exactly how things will play out like he didn't know how many people would leave he didn't know that people would get locked out of their badge access <laughs> you know like it's he doesn't know all that but at the macro level 
the goal is have a complete like rejiggering reinvigoration and brand new culture of happening in Twitter. And like that will happen. And I think, I think a lot of this comes down to, I'm going to say he knows though he doesn't know, but he like bets that, yeah, the thing isn't going to fail right away. Like people will, people want Twitter to succeed. There are people that will work hardcore hours, like, cause he's seen that movie before. It's like people will jump in and build this with him. Like it's going to happen. It's just a matter of in the coming weeks, like how much pain is going to occur. Like our advertisers and debtors going to get scared, like all that kind of stuff, like he'll have to sort out and that's going to be chaotic. But I do not think that Twitter is about to go down. I, I don't either. You know, it's just, so let me step back and say, for all the people impacted by layoffs, like that sucks and we feel you. For all the people impacted by fraud with FTX and the other things, that sucks and we feel you. Apologies for like laughing and joking about some of these things. Uh, so set the proper context. But then if you set that aside and go, you know, it's fun to watch a CEO that's not beholden to the Accentures and the McKinsey's and the who or in the Harvard Business Review article and everything else that just says, like, if there's one thing to respect about Elon, it's, hey, this is my money. I'm going to do it my way. And it's not always going to be pretty, but that's my right. Like, there's so few people that take those risks these days or, or that we're aware of taking those risks. It's kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Again, wrong word there. Yeah. Sorry. For no, that. no, it's not fun to yeah. watch people lose their jobs. But yeah, I, I double down on your the human component is real yeah. absolutely real and so everything that you just said agreed and i'll take your uh it's not always going to be pretty with elon it's never pretty like ever like paypal probably. was not pretty probably yeah right tesla was not pretty like within weeks of bankruptcy like um spacex i don't know as much about but i doubt that that was also pretty that's not how he rolls he doesn't roll pretty he rolls, get the job done, do the best yeah. work. Like that. that's just, that. that's how he is. And, and PayPal, to be fair, there were a lot of people involved there. So I'm not trying to put that all on Elon, but like, it wasn't pretty. This is, this isn't the first time he's done this stuff. It's not like he's the new kid on the block. He's fairly proven, which does not mean this is going to work out. I'm just saying like, mm -hmm. he's, he's someone that like, this is his MO, you know what you're getting into and it will not be pretty. Yeah, that's very fair. All right. Um, what's next in your fishbowl? Well, so I want to tie two things together. One, I listened to the All In podcast this week. Have you have you caught a recent episode? No, it's been months. Really smart guys. For those who don't know, really smart guys from um, Silicon Valley. So we got David Sachs, Chamath. Um, I always struggle with his last name of Facebook fame. And then two Jasons, right? All heavy hitters in the venture capital world. And so to turn tune in and listen to kind of this inside baseball perspective. There's uh, some people that feel David Sachs has a front row seat to what Elon is doing at Twitter. That's why I wanted to mention it because you get some kind of inside baseball stuff and really enjoyed the show this week. This is where they had Brian Armstrong come on and do a little Coinbase PSA, but oh, also that's talk cool. about what he thought was happening with FTX. And so that's um, like, you really feel like, you're in the stands of the, the professionals having this conversation. So good stuff. The thing that flabbergasted me about this, and I guess I just need to get over it, but they talked specifically about some of the equity movements that happened like with Meta in the past two weeks and other things as if 
stocks, what a stock does on a day-to-day basis actually matters. <laughs> and I'm just flabbergasted by it, Dougals. <laughs> like they were like, Meta used to be at 90 bucks a share. And then Zuckerberg announced the layoffs and now it's at 113. And that's all simply because of the layoffs. And I just don't think that way. I think a stock reaches its true value over many years. And the price movements that happen day to day are basically a coin flip and effectively meaningless. Now, sometimes it's a school of fish that all gets caught swimming one way or another. So where my mini rant is here is like, these are really smart people that know the ins and outs of investing, especially in early stage companies that seem to have this take of like the day-to-day price movements matter. And I just almost fell off my chair. Yeah, you know, I'm not as much into the day-to-day stock prices don't matter game as you are, but I but your point. I agree with I agree with your broad point. It, you you can't predictably take correlation and causation for day-to-day movements, but I still think that they're fascinating personally. I true. think that, I think daily uh, movements are fascinating. Well, and that's where um I wanted to take so sorry, maybe I'm mischaracterizing their thoughts, maybe I don't know. It just, I I just heard that one. I'm really enjoying the conversation, really enjoying being behind the scenes of that podcast. And then heard a couple takeaways like that and just like, guys, that's not how it works, but that's just, we're allowed to have a difference of opinion. That's, that's all that matters there. What I wanted to hit on is just some positive news because it's been so negative. Like one of the things that happened in my portfolio this week is Volkswagen, who I own announced a special dividend from their Porsche IPO. That's like two bucks a share. And the shares trading at at 13 bucks. So we told you that was going to happen on the podcast. That has been announced. And I'm super excited about it because that's cash I get to put into value stocks. You know, like we um, just, what, three weeks back talked specifically about BABA and like all the headwinds that might turn into positive things. Well, some of those things, you know, that the hyenas in the streets push BABA's price up in the past couple of weeks because some of those things turn into positive headwinds with uh, Biden and uh, Chi shaking hands and making nice on a few things with positive earnings reports. Like, so I think it's fun that in the middle of this, you know, nine month storm, you get an occasional positive, positive piece of news. Yeah. I, I fully agree with that. I get a, a rein like, I don't know, reinject some green into the red. Sometimes <laughs> that feels nice. Just going it from a stock perspective. I also, what I'm enjoying right now, which is really related, is individual stocks are mattering yeah. right now because so much of this year has been about the market, like macro trends and like market moving down. And now it's kind of cool to see in the portfolio that the, I don't quite want to say diversification because my portfolio is fairly concentrated, but just the individualness of the stocks are like playing off. Like uh, additionally, this this week, as everyone knows, I own Stone, right? Um, the Brazilian finance company. And like Stone came out and they're like, we're not hot garbage anymore. And so like there was movement there, even when, you know, this was moving down. It's just kind of cool seeing the portfolio in action again. So I've, I've been I've really enjoyed that. The Baba stuff has been a lot of fun to watch. And I'm so I'm just so excited to see what happens to that over the next five years. Like Me too. it's so fascinating. I mean, they, they came out with earnings this week and in summary, they basically said, like, we're still not doing that great, but we're going to buy back some stock, which like lets you know that we have confidence in the future, basically. Yeah. Right. And that company is 
so long as it's allowed to be a company, as we have said historically, is just like potentially ready to roll. Like, I mean, it's a, it's so, it's so, it's going to be so exciting to watch that over the last few weeks. But yeah, I've just loved seeing the individual stocks and what they're doing. Yeah, we never give investment advice on the show, but we have talked a lot about Baba because it's interesting to us. I'll tell you to run away from Baba because it's the there's too much Chinese government risk involved. But man, there are a bunch of articles this week came out after earnings that say if there's one stock that you want to play the the Chinese post COVID like economy jump back i can't think of the right word like this is the one that's going to explode and th- that just goes to our conversation three weeks ago about if things had the right direction oh man could it be fun now it'll probably go the other way because that's how investing works but um definitely fun times when i think is there anything else on that before i switch gears to my last fishbowl no nah, go ahead when i think fun times i think kathy would Sorry to do to you, Diggles. <laughs> Whoa, man! Kathy keep Wood, it, Twitter. Keep, keep it uh, safe for the kids on here. <laughs> oh come on! She wrote this tweet, and I think I had nothing but cuss words coming your way. Things I can't say on the podcast. It said, "If inflation is unwinding as we believe, then we could be headed back to the future, the Roaring Twenties, <laughs> the last time several general perfect." purpose technologies evolved at the same time telephone electricity and the internal combustion engine the setup is remarkably similar just vomit emoji 10 times to start and then i shouldn't be surprised by this the thing that drives me crazy about her every time is she seems to have no idea for like valuations so the roaring 20s went from the stock market being fairly to cheaply valued in the early part of the 20s to one of the biggest bubbles we've ever seen in the US. And then it popped, which led to the Great Depression. If you look at just valuation methodologies, and I'll say where we were middle of last year, we were in that bubble territory. And now there's been a pullback and generally stock markets are still expensive, somewhere between average valuations and and slightly above average, right? And I'm those these are course analogies, so we can get into the details if we need. But we're too bubbly to have another roaring 20s. But you know, like we're at a peak bubble, we pull back 20%, and all of a sudden Kathy Wood thinks we're gonna have the best bull run of US stock market history again. She just drives me crazy. It's so disconnected from reality. Sorry, I I'll get off my soapbox here. I mean, you don't even need to give me a soapbox to talk about Kathy Wood. So you know how I feel about this. I'm I'm in full agreement. And it's the, it's the thing where with ARC Innovation, her core fund, it's been, you know, it's been hit really hard. And sometimes I'm like, okay, I never really get to this point. But in a- academically, I could be like, oh, may- maybe it's interesting, right? Because a lot of those stocks have been really hit. And, you know, you could be right with innovation. And then I like look at stuff like this from her and I go, but she's driving the train. Yeah. So... Yeah. Even if I go, okay, this thing that she's buying and that she kind of bets on might work, like tomorrow she might sell this thing because of whatever happened in 1864. Like, I don't, I don't know how to trust her. Right. And I, th- I think like that's, I mean, I'll never go, I'll never go toward her. Like, it would be, it would take a lot for me to go toward any of her ETFs. Like, I can't even imagine. But yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And it's, it's beyond valuations. It's like she doesn't understand how this, 
stuff, and I'll use that broadly, the economy, the stock market, valuations, the Federal Reserve, the United States, the Constitution, Ukraine. She doesn't know how anything works, it seems like. It's just it's just massive cherry picking. It's just whatever. Like, she just says this is, it seems, that she says this is what I want the outcome to be to make more money. And, and then I'm going to cherry pick a few facts to make my story sound good without then miss the, like the key key points but here's what i'm gonna do Douglas. i don't do this often i don't know if i've ever done this before i don't know if i'll ever do this again i need to give her props about something don't even don't you dare well she's a bitcoin bull i told you last week that some of the etfs that trade bitcoin had been so depressed they're trading at a 40 to 50 percent discount she bought a bunch of that this week and I'm I neither of us are crypto guys or any of that but if you believe in something and it's trading at a 40% discount I would hope you would buy it so I want to give her props for that you're so disgusting you can't even say anything huh we don't give investment advice on the show but we do give research recommendations yes I'm going to give an anti-research recommendation don't research anything that Kathy Wood does. Oh, <laughs> uh, when she's bored again buying value stocks, you gotta regret that. I still think the uh, the the best call I will ever make in my investing career was. I mean, we've talked about this in the show, and I know I brought it up with you. It was 18, 19 months ago when I was talking to a friend, and they were like, "I can't figure out what to do in this market right now." It was like, uh, I think it was May, April or May or something like that of 2021. I can't figure out what to do in this market right now. Like it seems like it's gone up, but everything also seems overvalued. And I said, look, I can't tell you exactly what to do. But what I would say is look at whatever Kathy Wood does and do the exact opposite. <laughs> All right. Well, Kathy, thanks for listening. We hope you have a nice holiday. Dougals, what else is in your fishbowl? That is all I got, man. That's great. Hey, guys, it's Thanksgiving week. We hope you enjoy if you're U.S. based. Uh, If you're international, what Thanksgiving means for the U.S. is typically spending time with your family over a nice meal. So find a way to do that, or at least I would recommend that. Uh, I never regret it. Um, You can hit us up for premium subscriptions. If you truly love the show, and we know there's some people out there, you can go to supercast.skippydougals.com, throw a few bucks our way. Um, That really helps us make better content on the show because it, it frees up a little time for us and uh we love that support rate and review the podcast when you get a chance um that helps more people find the show and uh listener mail which we absolutely love is skippydoogles at gmail.com uh twitter is at skippydoogles assuming twitter still works a week from now which i think it's going to doogles my money is on twitter agreed all right thanks guys 